0: Good morning.
1: Good morning. So glad to be here with you.
0: It's a real privilege to be in this very big Sabbath school class this morning. Um, I'm sure that a lot of you are a little tired, right? You've had a couple of wonderful days meeting with people and seeing so many wonderful things and hearing so many wonderful presentations. So we're going to try our level best to keep you awake.
1: Well, I don't think we need a my check, Chantel, I think it Mm -mm. sounds good, but let's try and start with an accent check. Do you understand our accent? If you do, please wave your hands. Oh, yeah, that's surprising, Chantel. (laughs) Where did you pick up your accent?
0: I didn't pick up this accent. I was born with it. Thank you. (laughs) This is a South African accent, although it it has been quite diluted, I'm told. Um, Well, at the moment, I work as an associate director for the LNG White Estate in Maryland. So when you ask me where I'm from, I'll say Maryland. My husband, Gerald, is an associate editor for Adventist Review and Adventist World And you noticed he has a different accent. So, Gerald, where's that one from?
1: Well, I was born and raised in Germany, but I believe I don't have a strong German accent. Nicht wahr, Chantal?
0: We'll let them be the judge on that one.
1: (laughs) Well, our clock is ticking. Let's go back to my normal accent. (laughs) Not the World War II movie's accent. The clock is ticking, so let's get right into our Sabbath school lesson, Mm. Chantelle. Why don't you open with a word of prayer? Yes.
0: Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be able to call you Father. Mm. This morning, as we explore one one of the great gifts that you've given us, relationships, and we explore rest, we pray that you can be very close to us and open our minds, open our hearts, that we can find that rest and that healing where we need it most. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: I know I'm not saying or telling you anything new, but relationships are not always easy, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And I think Adventists, we are no exception to that rule. We wish for healthy and functional relationships in our families, and in our churches. But we need to recognize that we too struggle with dysfunction sometimes. Let me share some data, and I need to thank publicly my friends at the Office of Archives and Statistics and Research at the General Conference, who pointed me to the research that I will reference right now. In a 2009 survey by the Center for Creative Research found that 28% 28% of Adventists living in North America had gone through, the, through a divorce. Now, the researchers said, because those research is only done maybe every decade, every 12 to 14 years, they noticed that the trend was going up. This is 2009. We're living in 2021. The estimate is that roughly a third, mid-30s of Adventist marriages go through divorce. Now, divorce is only one of these challenging f- uh, um, things that challenge our relationships or dysfunctions that challenge our relationships. It, it, it's
0: really just a symptom mm-hmm. of, of many challenges, and that is pretty disheartening. As, uh, as God's end-time people, you would imagine... That we should be characterized, or at least our relationships, by kindness, gentleness, joy, peace, long-suffering. You mean the
1: Galatians 5.22 family?
0: Absolutely. That's that's the ideal, right? But I guess if we look back at our history, relationships haven't always been easy.
1: Well, you think... Are you talking about the pioneers? I know you work a lot with this Adventist heritage. Also, are you talking? Do you tell me that their homes weren't ideals and their relationships weren't always healthy and, you know, happy? Yes,
0: unfortunately, that's true. Just a quick look at Adventist history, and you will know that our pioneers didn't always have smooth sailing in their relationships. Our church leaders, you know, they often had challenges. Interpersonally, I'm I'm thinking of, um, yeah, I'm thinking of the Whites as you you mentioned. They, Even the Whites, yeah, they didn't have always a perfect home and perfect relationships. They had their ups and downs, their storms. I think especially of their second son, uh, Edson White. Edson White was quite a handful. Uh, probably right from the beginning, he had uh, he married young. He was a fairly strong personality. I guess he inherited a bit of James's uh, temperament. He was, he was quite good at making money, but he wasn't very good when it came to spending money. And he would spend the money rather quickly. And uh, he had quite a stormy relationship with the fledgling Seventh-day Adventist church that his mm-hmm. parents were so very involved in. Uh, Very careless, as I said, with spending money, and there was a very embarrassing, and I guess we don't talk about it very often, a very embarrassing public fallout uh, with the church over copyright issues Mm. that uh, Edson engaged in. Of course, his behavior caused his parents a lot of embarrassment Mm. and a lot of pain and really strained his relationship with his parents, particularly with James.
1: Chantel, that really doesn't sound... Look, I mean, we're talking here about... White family, some of the one of the co-founders of mm-hmm. of the Adventist Church.
0: Yeah, well, the story does go on after James's death in 1881. By the way, yesterday yesterday was the sixth, sixth right? Yeah. yeah. So yesterday was the anniversary of, of James White's death. Uh, after James White's death in in 1881, it seemed to something clicked for Edson, and then he really seemed to kind of step out, and he actually wrote to Ellen. He wrote to his mother, and I'll quote here. Uh, He wrote in his letter, and he said that he was, quote, not at all religiously inclined.
1: That's heartbreaking. I mean, think about your child writing you this letter. Think about your children. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, it sure broke Ellen's heart. She, She really felt this, and she wrote a lot of letters, and I've been privileged, and you can actually all read it. I'll plug in here for EGW Writings uh, app. But uh, it's heartbreaking to read these letters that she writes to to Edson, pleading with him, um, you know, trying everything to encourage him into a relationship with Jesus. And this goes on for quite a while. She doesn't give up her love, her tender concern for her prodigal son. Uh, Fortunately, this relationship has a happy ending. Edson does give his heart to Jesus at the age of 43. And when he does, he becomes involved in outreach ministry, as I know is a passion here at, at ASI for, for missions. And he, he helps to design a steam battle, paddle boat, which you know. Anyone the name? Morning star, yes, I heard it
1: it 's a very well informed audience here, of course,
0: of course, and of course, with that, he starts his mission project down up and down the Mississippi, bringing education and a knowledge of Jesus to the recently freed slaves of the south.
1: Well, we just heard some statistics, we had a story, maybe some of you heard, had heard that story before. Um, what do relationships now we try to really get to it what do relationships have to do with the topic of this quarterly that we wrote when did we write it 4 years ago mm-hmm. and resting in christ chantal
0: well we get to choose relationships right we do some of them aha uh-huh. some of them but probably the most how can i say the most formative our parents our siblings we don't get to choose those.
1: Well, we have lived in many continents. We've lived in Africa, in South America, in Asia, and in most places. When we moved to the US 13 years ago, we found a very strange thing. Have you ever heard the term sh- church hopping? Or church shopping. Or as church well. shopping. Yeah. Very strange. Because in many parts of the world, you know, you live close to a church, you have to walk there or you take the bus to get to the closest church, and not so necessarily in in this country. So sometimes we can look for the ideal church, but most of the times in reality, there is no ideal church because it's full of human beings Mm -hmm. that are imperfect, human beings that are sinful. It's like us. Mm-hmm. We are not perfect. So while God gives us this ideal of perfect families and perfect, perfect relationships in the church mm-hmm. and also in our families, how, how can we get there?
0: Well, but... but Having God-fearing parents and and siblings and friends that really love God, it, it is a big blessing. It is a big big advantage. But for many of us, we have to settle with less than the ideal. Gerald, you were just talking about about churches and church families because that's the dynamic as well, right? We're family, and it's often less than ideal in our churches as well, unfortunately. If we look at dropout rates in our church, we realize that many of us solve our relationship problems in church Mm. by simply staying away Mm -hmm. and by not attending church anymore. But this really isn't a solution because no man is an island, not spiritually. Mm. We need each other. As imperfect as we are, we need each other on this faith journey.
1: Although these relationship problems can leave us restless and hurt sometimes, and maybe carrying loads of emotional baggage, we want to be able to find rest. I want to be able to find rest. I know you want to, because that's why you're here this morning. Um, And we want to not make others carry even heavier by offloading our baggage mm-hmm. onto, onto them. The good news this morning is that even when others are trying to manipulate us or when they see us as objects, we can refuse to treat them in kind mm-hmm. because we realize that God knows us, that he doesn't even know us. He loves us, strangely enough, and that we have value for God.
0: We have value. God's ideals for us and for our relationships, they're high, they're noble, they're wonderful. But we can't hang around and wait for them to happen, wait for the perfect relationship to come along. We have to deal with the real, the, the real. Around us and be realistic about it. I think, especially in our church families, where we often build up a facade, mm. you know, how are you? Oh, fine. How's it going? Oh, great. Um, we, we have to perhaps let down those facades and make ourselves vulnerable and ask for and be ready to actually take help.
1: Well, let's get into the Bible. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's start with one biblical example of a very complicated family history. We all know that family. It starts with Abram and Sarah and a promise and a journey. You remember the first chapters of the book of Genesis. Once Sarah realized that she is barren, that she can't conceive, she makes a plan because, you know, maybe she thought that God needed some help. And she asked her, her servant Hagar to sleep with her husband. Now Hagar falls pregnant fairly quickly and the rivalry began. Abr- Abram's camp never was restful again I think after mm-hmm.
0: that. History has a way of repeating itself. It really does have that way. The, the children from these two wives that we know so well, Ishmael and Isaac, they grow up in this atmosphere, and instead of, and that's always the paradox, right? Instead of learning and saying, well, that's something I'll never do, they somehow take this restlessness in relationships along with them into their own homes. And we can trace the family line very definitely with, with, um, with Jacob. Uh, we have, well, first of all, with Isaac. We have Isaac, who has two sons, and then he very obviously favors Esau, Uh, strange there's this gentleman it seems that really likes this the the hunter this wilder sort of son and and he he really favors Esau and Jacob spends his whole life trying to earn his father's respect his father's love and I guess there's a postscript the birthright as well Uh, Jacob gets tricked we know two wives two sisters Imagine all of us that have sisters. Uh, imagine having to compete with your sister also for your husband's love. And that's exactly what, what happens. And these two sisters get involved in a childbearing competition. Very strange. They even engage their maids to try to earn or keep love.
1: Now, that rivalry goes not just from sisters or mothers, it goes to their children Mm. who grow up ready to pick any fight. A quick review of Genesis 34 to 38, you recognize as young adults, Joseph's older brothers had already massacred the males of an entire town, Shechem, Genesis chapter 34. The oldest brother, Reuben, tried to defy his father's authority Mm. and by sleeping with his father's concubine, Bilchah, Rachel's mate and the mother of several of Jacob's children. Meanwhile, Joseph's brother Judah mistook his widowed daughter-in-law as a prostitute and he ended up having twins with her. I mean, what kind of family life is that? (laughs) Jacob,
0: with all these children... With all this unrest, you know, you, you, you see him trying to calm the fires, or at least you'd imagine, but he, he doesn't. He stokes the fire, remember? That beautiful coat that he gives to his obviously favorite son, Joseph, and so the situation Continues. I think if ever there was a dysfunctional family, I mean, looking at it from a family point of view, these heroes of faith, it's almost like they could compete with these uh, family problems.
1: Well, I, I agree, Chantal. It's, it's a story. When I read it, I, mm. I say again, Wow, God, you used them. <laughs> Impossible. I can't see it, but you did. But let's engage, let's engage all of you mm-hmm. here this morning more directly. Mm-hmm. Even though it may be difficult in a large hall like this, and the cameras are here and floodlights are on here, blocking out most faces. But let's give it a try, Chantal. Yeah.
0: Let's do involvement in an easy way by voting, okay? That's easy enough. And you just have to raise a hand
1: Well, we're not talking about political voting, right? no, 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 no.
0: We're going to try to be a functional family, right? Not a dysfunctional family <laughs> this morning. So uh, let's try to vote Gerald.
1: Well, the easiest vote and we do it the South American way in case you didn't know in South America, everyone has to vote. If you don't vote, you have to pay a fairly steep fine. So you have to vote this morning, okay? And the
0: fines will all go towards the offering. No, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's the question that you vote on. We're going to ask yes or no, and then we want to see hands, all right? This is
0: just the calibration vote. This is just the calibration
1: vote, that's right. All right. Should the part of the story we just retraced, you know, with a quick, quick overview shared in an evangelistic series yes or no i repeat the question should the part of the story we just shared uh, in an evangelistic series yes can i see the hands all right i see some hands this this looks impressive i don't you haven't voted all ah there will be major fines here All right, let's Shani, let's do a second test. Okay, let's okay. do a second test. Uh, so
0: they, that was they the need warm to get up. Into this. That was the warm up. So let's let's put it this way. We'll have an option 1 and option 2. So now you're not voting yes or no, you're just voting for option 1 or option 2. Okay, here's option 1. Here's option 1. Should we show and talk about our Bible heroes warts and all? That's option 1. Option 2 some skeletons are best kept in the closet. Biblically
1: speaking, of course.
0: All right. Option one.
1: Well, this what is, do you think? This is very impressive. Okay, let's see
0: if anyone is brave enough to go for option two.
1: Well, there's a couple, a couple of, of, hands. of skeleton keepers there. Good. Well, very brave. Very, very brave. <laughs> Although God's ideal has always been for our homes to be a foretaste of heaven, this has very seldom be the case in reality. Unfortunately, all homes, and by extensions also all our relationships, are always complicated since the fall. So, what is there to do? We need That's what we we're all about this morning. Do we just give up and settle for relationships that are Similar to those surrounding us, or is there something more? Is it worth the effort?
0: Let's continue following that that family that we introduced. That yeah, I call them a dysfunctional family. And let's follow Joseph in particular. He's the focus of our lesson this week. You remember he comes close to being murdered. It's it's a close thing. That's how serious this dysfunction had become. But he doesn't. He escapes being murdered by his brothers only to become a slave sold by his brothers into slavery.
1: I hope you brought your Bible or your devices with you because we're going to open it right now. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 37, verses 23, 24, and then I'll jump to 28. We should read more, but time is limited. I'm using the New King James Version here this morning. Genesis 37, 23, 24, and 28. Here we go. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt.
0: I'm sure we've heard that story many times, but it leaves me to wonder a moment, What advantages were there for Joseph being part of the covenant family at this moment in
1: time? Why don't we ask them? Why don't we put that question to them?
0: Okay, but let's rephrase it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's rephrase the question, maybe put it in a more modern terms. Let's Mm -hmm. say, uh, again, of course, we'll do yes and no this time, right? Does growing up a cultural Adventist give you any spiritual advantages?
1: Why don't you repeat that question?
0: Does growing up a cultural Adventist in an Adventist culture give you any spiritual advantages? Yes. Please raise your hands. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: No. Please raise your hands. I believe there's still some people who are not voting. This is going to be very expensive, folks.
0: Okay, and some are puzzled. Be- and Some are puzzled.
1: Before we analyze this vote, let's okay. go back to Joseph. I, I, mm-hmm. I like Alan White's take on that particular part in his life journey. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 213. If you want to note it down, here is what she writes. Then his thoughts, that's Joseph's thoughts, turned to his father, Sorry, God. just
0: to interrupt, he's on his way. He's on Egypt. his way.
1: Yeah, yeah he's, he's on his way with the slave traders. Okay. So we, we're still in the same part of the jo- journey that where mm-hmm. we stopped. In his childhood, she writes, he had been taught to love and fear him. Often in his father's tent, he had listened to the story of the vision that mm-hmm. Jacob saw when he fled from his home An exile and a fugitive. Now all these precious lessons came vividly before him. Joseph believed that the God of his fathers would be his God. He then and there, key sentence here, he then and there gave himself fully to the Lord and he prayed that the keeper of Israel would be with him in the land of his exile.
0: It's a beautiful quote. But now back to our vote. Do you want to know whether you voted correct or incorrect, (laughs) all right. So here is the official answer to your vote. We can have a drum roll and the answer is yes and no.
1: Excellent, excellent.
0: (laughs) Okay, why yes? Remember this quote that we've just read? As Joseph is taken, to Egypt, those stories that he's heard, mm-hmm. those stories about God that he's heard, this environment that he has grown up in, this but also this positive attributes, these Bible stories, this comes back to him. No, for those that voted no, this is where the story of course emphasizes that being Jacob's son isn't helping Joseph at this moment. He needs to make his own decision.
1: To find real rest, to find real rest, we must make or take a personal decision to follow Christ. There's, remember, even if our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents were spiritual giants, and the problem is that spirituality and faith isn't transmitted genetically, Remember, and I like this quote from Dutch author Cory ten Boom, remember God has only children, no grandchildren. That's a
0: great quote, isn't it? God has only children, no grandchildren. We have to each choose. Well, let's continue with our journey with Joseph. Let's go. He arrives I see the in time Egypt. ticking. All right. So he arrives in Egypt. He's sold into Potiphar's household. Whole new dynamic. Whole new relationships that he's forced into. Really, he has to make his way. He doesn't withdraw. He doesn't say, you know, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I signed up for. God, why? He gets working. He gets working. He establishes good working relationships, and he rises through the ranks so quickly. It's it's like a, a movie script. And soon, he is being treated by Potiphar more like a friend than a slave. And he's in charge.
1: Well, it sounds nearly too good, but in our relationship, there's not always sunshine, mm-hmm. right? Or everything's sunshine and working and functional. Joseph's relationships are about to become very complicated. Mm-hmm. Any rest that he had found at that moment, you know, he was become well respected in that house, was about to evaporate, just disappear. Let's read about this in Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 to 8. Genesis chapter 39, 6 to 8, in your Bibles, device, whatever you have. This time I'm using the NIV. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except his, the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. Joseph
0: resists temptation. It's a powerful temptation that he resists. Of course, the Bible emphasizes that it's a continuous temptation. I mean, it's not just once. She hounds him. But he he resists. Uh, this temptation would advance him, it would seem, or at least this prospect in relationships. Uh, But he refuses. And I think his own identity Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with his refusal.
1: Let's think about his identity. Joseph had been the beloved son of his aging father. The apple of his eye, if we want to use that. Mm -hmm. He had preferential treatment. He was now a slave, even though he was a privileged slave Mm. in the house of Paribas. Chantal, shall we try another type of question this time, which will require more than a vote?
0: Yes, I think people are sitting together with friends or family. So maybe this time we'll just take uh, a minute And turn to the person next to you, and we're going to talk a moment. Please don't be shy. It'll just be a brainstorming session, okay? No wrong So this won't be any trick questions like like your previous vote. I think I I damaged some trust here. But anyway, um, let's talk a moment about self-worth. Because Mm. we've mentioned self-worth as helping him to resist. What is self-worth built on and why is it important in relationships? That's your question. What is self-worth built on and why is it important in relationships?
1: Okay, we're going to give you 60 seconds. Go and talk. Well, it's so nice to see you engaged. And I confess it wasn't 60 seconds. We have to cut a little bit here. I wish I could hear some of your ideas. Mm -hmm. Now, Chantal, Mm -hmm. while I am not a psychologist, but I think that Mrs. Potiphar had a problem Mm -hmm. with her self-worth or Mm self-understanding. Her self-worth seems to be built on her ability to use people to meet her wants and her needs. If we depend on others around us to tell us how beautiful we are, how precious we are, how special we are, I think we are in for a rough ride. Yeah. Even our roles, you know, I am the associate X, Y, Z, they don't really define us and give us self-worth. Mm-hmm. Though they may offer us a structure, they can't really tell us who we really are.
0: Joseph, on the other hand, he has... A different source for his self worth. Remember, he's taken quite the rollercoat coast in, in relation, uh, in, in role changes from beloved son now to slave. But in his response to Mrs. Potiphar, he, he gives a clue. He says in Genesis 39, he says, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God?
1: Well, tell I'm with you. I mean, that's clear. How could we sin against God? But the big question is, how does God see us? Now that, I think that's the crucial question. That
0: is a crucial question. Fortunately, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. The Bible makes it very clear how God sees us. And God looks at us with grace-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. That's how he looks at us. He sees potential beauty, talent that we can't even imagine. I like, well, there's so many, but Okay, Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 1. You know that. You know that. Now, thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, O Gerald, O Chantel, O.
1: Put your name there. Who formed you.
0: Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are
1: mine. What, What a wonderful and powerful promise. Here's another description of. God's feelings about us, this time found in the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse 15. Very easy to remember. 15 15. John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, listen to this: I have called you friends. Mm-hmm. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Can you imagine? God considers you and I a friend. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he was prepared to die for us so that we could get the opportunity that we need to become all that we were created for. Mm -hmm. Everything that he sees in me and in you and in us. Mm -hmm. I can't can't catch that.
0: It's wonderful. It's wonderful. This knowledge that God loves us, that we have this value and importance, that Jesus was prepared to die for us, this forms a rock-bottom self-worth, but it doesn't automatically mean that all of our relationships immediately become smooth sailing. Well, it definitely wasn't that way for well, Joseph.
1: It wasn't for mm-hmm. Joseph. Remember, in chapter 39, it tells us that he ends up, because he made this principal decision, mm-hmm. that he ends up going to prison. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, how did he manage to live with that tension in his life? He makes a good decision, a, a God-centered decision, and yet... He finds himself in prison.
0: Well, we can read about that time in prison. We can read it in in Genesis 39. I'll just give it a quick overview because we're running short on time. When he's in the prison, he starts again working on relationships. Again. And again, God is with him, and he builds those relationships. Uh, The last verse, the keeper of the prison Did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it
1: prosper. Well, so Joseph doesn't sit in his hole or in his prison cell and says, Oh no, woe to me. Somehow he uses his talents and the gifts that God clearly had given him, and he becomes a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. Now the Bible doesn't always give us the behind the scenes look when it describes the the life of of the Bible characters, but there is one theme that helps us to put relationship and events and evil, even actually, actually everything in history into the right perspective.
0: Okay, don't we keep call, us... We
1: call that the great controversy perspective, Chantel.
0: Wonderful. I was going to say, don't keep us in suspense, although really, all of you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we, we really... We know, we hear this, but it also has an impact on our relationships Mm. as well as just forming a just, as well as also forming our theological backbone. It also forms a backbone for relationships.
1: Because our relationships, listen to this, that's an important sentence. Our relationships are a miniature model of the great controversy that is raging through the ages between God and Satan. It happens in our lives, personally, in our families, wherever we are. Ephesians six twelve says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms.
0: That's important to remember in our relationships. It's not just a struggle or a problem with another person necessarily there's someone who wants to take advantage of our relationships. There are no perfect relationships. Every relationship must have growth dynamics, and we must remember that Satan has a vested interest in using our relationships, especially those that are closest to us, to his advantage, to hurt, to damage, and to frustrate God's will for our lives. But thankfully, we are not left to struggle and battle on our own.
1: That's, that's the real good news this morning, I think.
0: In this important, this essential part of our lives, God's word sets out principles for our relationships that help our relationships to grow. And he has this promise. And we apply this often when it comes to exams, but it also works for relationships. Think of... James 1 verse five, if any of you lack wisdom also in your relationships, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. He was with Joseph and he promises to be with us when our relationships are complex.
1: Of course, the story of Joseph doesn't end here. This is something that we wanna tell and keep on talking about next week. But there's a hint, here's the hint. Dysfunction meets healing and rest when we can receive and give forgiveness.
0: I'm sure you've all been there. I'm sure you've all been there. Maybe it was a phone call, a text message, a sudden surprise, realization, or just gotten to that point where you realized, I can't fix this relationship. Most of all, there's pain, and there's that feeling of being all alone. That's the moment where we don't need theory. We don't even need complicated theology. That's the moment we need something more to hang on to. We'll be closing with a prayer, but we'd like to make a little bit of space for you this morning to bring your relationships to God and to ask for that rest. That God has promised.
1: Now I think the story of Joseph. At least for me. It reminded me this morning. That God really cares about our relationships. And he wants us to find this rest. Also in this area of our lives. Wherever you are this morning. Sitting here or on TV somewhere. Watching on TV. We'd like to end by taking a moment for you to speak to God. About your relationships. The ones that are reflecting a little bit of heaven, praise the Lord for those, but also those relationships that are tough, that are complex, or maybe sometimes even dysfunctional.
0: God's promise is for us. God's promises for us. Let's pray for a lot of love as we try to untangle those complicated relationships, lost, uh, those relationships. Let's pray for yeah, Gerald, let's pray especially. At this moment.
1: I'll be praying and I'll be quiet for a moment. That's the moment when you can bring your relationship to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that you care about our relationships. I know you care about the relationship of each one of my brothers here in, the, in this hall and on watching online. And I want to pause for a moment so as they can bring their relationships before you. Father, we thank you for this moment of silence in a world that's gone crazy, mad with noise. And very often this noise also disrupts our relationships with one another and with you. We commit again this morning our lives to you. And we ask you in the name of Jesus that you give us the healing that we need. In his name we pray